0: My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I do. <laughs> You're going to do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers.
1: ...in the mud, blood, beer. years,
0: that I'm not working Fourth of July. Fourth of July. <laughs> ...a community I mean, policing,
1: right? What about community mm-hmm.
0: dispatch? So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. all right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with me, the Ratsby Dispatcher. My guest today has been dispatching for over five years, working in a department post-consolidation, dispatched during COVID, which we all know was real weird, (laughs) and has witnessed how turnover impacts the center. And we're going to talk about all that and more with my guest today, Abby. Hi, Abby. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, I just got back from Nina. So I'm all like hyped up and inspired and ready to change the dispatch world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You always feel that way after any, any conference you go to. I got to go to the first in-person Denise Amberley conference this year. And I came back and I was like, we got to do stuff. And everyone was like, what what happened to the Abby that left? Can she Right? Come They're like, we like, we no. were still here
0: working, Abby. We, <laughs> come back. <laughs> come back now. <down. laughs> but it, it is so true. Like I, for folks who are listening, you're like, I don't know if it's worth it or I haven't got to go or I haven't asked. Man, it's so worth it to go to these conferences. Um, I'm actually planning to go to the Denise Imbra conference. We're going to be a vendor there. Um, so I get to go to that one, too. But it is just you get to see all these people doing all these things, all these new ideas, the technology um, that, that's coming out and that's out there that you get to see. It is really inspiring, magical, you know, all those things. And it really does hype you up to come back to your center with some new something, you know.
1: It really does. It really does. I was lucky to bring back some information from my boss this year. And it's gone all the way up to the county level. And they're going to be implementing something because of it. So it's, I don't know if it's been announced. So I'm not going to say it. But he told me because I saw it. And I was like, hold up. We did that. And he's like, yeah, it was you guys. Oh, my God. So cool. So well, how did you get into public safety? What is your story? Abby? So, I was working in a factory, and I was with my first ex husband I've been divorced twice um one before nine one 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 during nine one one and I said, "I don't want to do this anymore." so I became a nursing assistant, mm-hmm. and I got in contact with a guy that I was Uh, In high school with, and we'd remain friends all these years. And he was like, "Yeah, I'm a nine dispatcher for Orange County. You should totally put in for it." And I was like, "All right, cool." So I put in for it, and they they were kind of in a weird spot because they weren't consolidated yet. Hmm. But then when they consolidated, they didn't have enough people. So that's when I got the call six months after my application. Isn't that wild?
0: It's crazy. (laughs) folks who are thinking about going through the process, you got to hang
1: in there, man. You got to hang in. I had given up hope on it because I was like, it's six months. I'm not going to get a call. I was in the middle of sleeping from the night shift before because I did night shift for eight years and now I'm on day shift. Mm -hmm. But I got the call and she was like, I got your letter. Come in and sign it. We're ready to go. And I was like, sweet. Went in and got my letter, signed it, went to my job and was like, here's my two weeks. Ah, (laughs) Bye. (laughs) And here I am five years later. So you know,
0: consolidation uh, for folks who are unfamiliar, it's when usually two smaller centers get combined into to serve a bigger region in a city. Is that
1: do I have that understanding correct? Or a county? Or in um, in ours, it was the police were on one side and the fire and EMA, EMS okay. were on their own dispatch, so they consolidated into one. Got it. Okay. And it went from you. Being like you just have farm rescue channels and then you have our we have two town jurisdictions and then our county jurisdiction mm-hmm. then now it's all together wow <laughs> so i can
0: only imagine for like you coming in as a brand new baby dispatcher coming into a center that a just consolidated uh right so you gotta deal with all these folks who are having to Adjust to, and you know, dispatchers do not like change, it's icky. it's icky, so you have yeah. to that, that reality. Um, and then coming into your center knowing nothing and learning the new norm like, what was that training like for you in that environment?
1: So, I came in, it was probably about three or four months post the consolidation, so everybody was kind of getting into their groove, but. The sheriff's office side and the law enforcement side, they didn't really have any set way of this is the way you dispatch. Mm-hmm. So, fire and EMS on our side, it's our EMS are scripted a certain way, they answer mm-hmm. on the radio a certain way. It was the easiest thing to learn. Fires, that's we don't have paid firefighters <laughs> in our area. Okay. So, they and most of the people in our volunteers have been volunteering for years. I mean like I watched a video the other day I was showing one of the new guys um some of our year in review videos and it was like one from the 90s. Oh and half the guys are <laughs> still there. I'm like good for them. <laughs> it explains cuz like yeah. they'll say certain things on the radio and we're like what does that mean? And they're like yeah. oh it means this. That's what that what they used to say. Yeah. So it's it's gotten a lot better since we've consolidated because now they're realizing we have to work together, Mm -hmm. but it was the training was a little like the fire and rescue side. There was just so much training. And then law enforcement, it was like, this is what we do. (laughs) And I was like, okay. (laughs) My hardest thing to learn was traffic stops because everybody Mm. was doing them differently. You know, so they, they got me good on with one, def- one officer who did it the same. Yeah. yeah. And then they were like, now you can do the others.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because, you know, I lateraled from, you know, a larger agency to a smaller agency and I feel like in my smaller agency, it's like a melting pot. Cause it's like a bunch of laterals from the officers to the dispatchers. I mean, they're all coming from other agencies into this new, for me, smaller agency. And it is like that. Like a lot of, like if I have an officer who flips by traffic stop. So for us, it's supposed to be, you know, unit traffic stop. You're like, go ahead, unit with your traffic stop. And then they're supposed to go with the plate. And then they're supposed to go with the location. And when they flip that, like, it messes me all up. Like
1: I have to you get used to, to putting get it in the computer a certain way. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, Like, with with ours, ours is almost the same. It's so-and-so mm-hmm. to orange draft stuff. Yeah. And then they say their location, because that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. been drilled into us since day one. And yeah. then they go with their tag. And sometimes oh, no. they'll run a tag, and then they'll be like, show me, and I'll stop with that. And I'm like... What? Yeah. I oh, okay. Okay. Got it. it was like, it'll go, like, it'll go if I flip it, but
0: it looks all funky. I got to go back and fix it. And, you yeah. know, it's just something that, you know, they don't realize, especially if they lateral, cause they, you know, when they started getting high stress situations, they start getting into motion, right. They just go back to training. And I think that's what happens a lot on traffic stops and things like that. They start saying things and you're just like, what is he saying? And then you ask the room and they're like, Oh, that's what say in his old agency. And someone has the translation for you and everyone's work, working together on no. this one stop because of communication. It's funny, you know,
1: it, it really is. It's, they've eventually all gotten used to it. And some of the older ones are kind of like, I'm still going to do it my way, but we know how they're going to do it. So we're prepared.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember any of your first calls for service or early calls when you're just getting into it and things are all like fun and new and and a little scary? (laughs) Yeah. Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show.
1: So the only two calls that I remember from like the very beginning that like, I don't know, I guess they resonated with me. Like they just, they stuck with me was we had a fall call mm-hmm. and the lady was like, oh, he just fell. And we didn't run it through our protocol. Cause at that time, if it was just a lift assist, we didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And they got on scene and he had passed away. So he had oh. actually fallen out and passed away and we didn't run it through. So we had no clue. We didn't give CPR instructions, nothing, because we didn't know. She was like, I just need him picked up. And we were like, okay. And after that, we all kind of talked about it with our director. And we were like, okay, we, anytime they say he fell, we got to run it through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then Isn't that wild. Like, just like I, I've told my fiance this. So I'm like, look. I hear, so I transfer, you know, fire calls, medical calls, all that. So I don't hear the whole call, but I hear the beginning of it. And there are some people who are just like, yeah, Jimmy's dead. And I was just like, no, you know, no emotion, no, like, and I'm sure it was supposed to happen and like all these things. But yeah, like if I'm having a medical emergency, Claudia I want some emotion on this recorded live because if I make it I'm gonna ask for the tape I want I want to know you were a little scared that I wasn't gonna make it
1: yeah exactly (sighs) the only other call that like from like my beginning years that like really stuck with me Mm -hmm. was I had a gentleman call in because his wife was she had just fallen out like just she wasn't responsive or anything. And he was too weak to do CPR instructions. Mm. So I had to stay on the phone with him until they got there. And the entire time he's sitting there and he's going, I love you. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. It is one of, I think it's, I think I've had like two calls that I've cried right after. And that was one of them. And I was just like, I can't. I was like, he broke my heart. No. Like I wanted her to live. I wanted them to get there because he mm. was too weak. Yeah. Do CPR so I was just like oh my god my heart is breaking for this man right now yeah. and I can't help him I've done everything I can he he couldn't walk to even yeah. get to her but he knew that she wasn't breathing
0: yeah
1: and I was just like oh my god I there was nothing I could do
0: and that's and I think that's the toughest part right like when we talk about dispatch and like calls that like sit with us a bit. It's like when those, when you've done everything, like there's just like a, there's a limitation to this person's ability to assist. And like, that's not our fault. That's not their fault. It's just a reality. And that's probably one of the hardest parts, right? It's like life happens, reality happens. And you're trying to battle that a bit, you know, to save lives and whatnot. And sometimes the situation is just what it is. And you've done all you can.
1: Yeah. We can only do so much, I mean, but we do everything we can.
0: Yeah. So talk about tough calls and like what that looks like for us. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, like peer-to-peer support in dispatching. What are your feelings about it? What is your experience? What do you think we need to look for, do as peer-to-peer folks in our centers to help
1: deal with these tough calls and these tough things that we deal with? So, In my center, we're currently in the process of creating one and it's the whole county that's doing it. Mm -hmm. And we had concerns about like confidentiality and stuff. Mm -hmm. But there also has to be with the people. If you're going to create this peer support group, you have to have people that people can trust in it. Mm -hmm. Not like if there's people that there's been trust issues with, with things that have been said, they probably aren't your best bet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you need to make sure these people are trustworthy people. You need to make sure that they're willing to listen to you. They're not going to take anything back and tell everybody what you said. Mm-hmm. But it, we also need to understand that it doesn't have to be somebody that works in our center. Mm-hmm. It can be somebody you met at a conference and you became good friends with. And now you're like, you know what? Hey, I need to call and talk to you. I had a really rough night, and they're there for you. Mm-hmm. It there needs to be an outlet for us because people think, cause we're not on scene. We don't see it. We're not, we're not affected by it. That's complete trash. Mm. We are very much affected by it because we're sitting here listening to, I don't know, Billy beat the crap out of Barbara on mm-hmm. the phone. And now Barbara's agonal breathing in the background. We can't help anything cause Billy's not going to help her. He just did it to her. Yeah. And we're just like, what, what do I do? We get that emotional trauma and then we're expected to go home and then come back and do it the next day. And a lot of places don't do the debriefing and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: you don't get that that release from all those emotions that you're holding on to. Like I've, I've driven home. I have a 45 minute drive home. I got plenty of time to let them feelings out. I've cried my entire way home before mm-hmm. because it was a rough day. And then I get home and I'm like, I feel a little bit better.
0: Yeah, and you know, and I think it's interesting. Like you brought up, like you know, Billy Hinton Barb, and you know, the I, I worked in a bigger city, and there was a lot of there's a lot of high violent calls, and like I've been on on a call for ten fifteen minutes because we're crossing people from different sectors because our city's so big. You know, hearing hearing a domestic, and you're like, and all you can do is like. Added to the call, added to the call. Like, what? How can I describe this so it's accurate? But also, how can I describe what I'm hearing so they get it and they move as quickly as they can, um, as safely as they can to get there? Because what I'm hearing is requiring that response. Like, we really have to paint the picture for the folks who are responding because they're not hearing what we're hearing, you know, saying like, Sounds like Billy's hitting barb is different than like loud crashes, you know, screaming and like, you know, so we really have to describe what we're hearing for sometimes in these larger places at 10, 10 minutes waiting for someone to get there. And then, you know, they got to mount up, they got to, you know, they have to safely approach. So it is really a long process that we are hearing and having to describe, to those, So they are well prepared for what we're hearing going in. And I think that's an aspect we don't really think about as much Is like, not only am I hearing this thing, I'm having to describe it. Like that's literally my job is so they have a best understanding of what I'm getting from this phone call. And I think that aspect can be pretty tough as well.
1: Yeah. And like, it's, it's just, the f- The first point of peer support is gonna be right there on the floor when it happens. Hey, are you okay after that call? No. Hey, are you okay? It's that simple. Just ask them, are you okay? Mm-hmm. I took a call this past year for um, a child who had gotten shot. And mm-hmm. I feel comfortable telling this story now. Um, I get about halfway through the call, baby is okay. He's not he's still breathing. It was a flesh wound. Mm-hmm bleeding's controlled and she goes he's the son of one of your dispatchers oh shit i said what i said i'm sorry what did you say mm-hmm. and she goes it's so-and-so's son and i was like because he's <sighs> sitting on the other side of the yeah. me, <sighs> and i'm like oh my god yeah. i'm like okay that's not a note i need to put in right now so exactly I'm doing my thing, and I run into my director, and I'm like, "Please activate on call because he's leaving." Yeah, yeah. And then I had to go out there and tell my my dispatcher, "Hey, this is your son." And he looked at me like, "What?" And he goes, "I'm sorry, what did you say?" And I said, "This is your son. You need to go." Yeah. And he said, "Okay," and got up and left. Yeah. Nobody asked me that day if I was okay Mm. because we had had a deputy who passed away in his sleep that week. One of our trainees, she had a medical issue that happened at work. So we had med- uh, the medics in. So oh. it was a stressful week. And then that was the icing on top. And I was just like, what is going on? Yeah. And like a couple of days later when I came back, cause it was my last day all- <laughs> one before <laughs> yeah. off, I came back and they were like, are you okay, Abby? And I'm like, I don't know if I did that call right. I I don't know and they were like it took minutes they were there in minutes so I was like there's no way that call was at least 15 minutes and she was like no it was at most five and I'm like are you kidding me there's no way and then I recently heard the call because my boss was so proud of me for the way I handled everything he uses it as one of his um like training calls like, like training so. calls and like hey you want to be a dispatcher this is what our dispatchers do kind of call
0: yeah and
1: I heard it and I was just like how did I sound so calm even when she said it's you. one of your dispatchers I was like I'm sorry what'd you say <laughs> <laughs> so polite I'm sorry can you repeat that <laughs> what <laughs> and it, it, as soon as she said it I was oh, like yeah,
0: panic. I mean, yeah I couldn't have you know because it is one of those things like you really do like when the dust settles and like everything comes back to reality and nerves settle, the first thing you do, especially with a high priority call, is like, did I do it right? Like, did, did I follow policy? Did I, did I type as quickly as I could? Did I say the right things? Did I give the right direction of travel, the right location? Like it, you do, you do go through that process and I can only imagine uh, after finding out that it's, one of one of the homies, like one of the family in, in the house, you're like, even more anxiety is going to come from that. You know what I mean? Yes. And that is the reality of dispatching, especially when you are close to where you live or work, or, you know, you might answer the phone and it might be a family member. It might be a friend. It might be, you know, a dispatcher's kit. You know, you never know. Yeah. And you still have to be able to perform and do the job, and do the thing, and then
1: react with your feelings, right? Like, it's just, it's tough. And, like, it was a constant. Hey, how's your son doing? How's he healing? That sort of thing. And then we're sitting there one Saturday chilling, and his wife brought the baby in, and I got to see him, and I was like, he's okay. And I think that's when my body said, you can let it go. He's okay. You see him and he is okay. Yeah. And I was just like, he's such a resilient little kid. Yeah. <laughs> like how, but I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> My
0: gosh. Yeah. No, that's, that's a wild story. I, I think it's one of those things that uh, they tell you about during training It's like you could answer. call from your family or your friend or blah 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 and you're like yeah okay you know it's one of those things you know but then you I hear about it when I talk to folks on here see people in person it's like that really does happen people really do answer the phone and know who's on the other line and it's just wild to me I hope I never have to experience it
1: personally but you never know well, I dispatch in the county that I grew up in. I recently moved like yeah. two counties over and now have like a forty minute 45 minute drive to work.
0: Yeah. But uh
1: I I grew up there. I lived there till mm-hmm. a little over well, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So I know the county like the back of my hand. I know some of the deputies. Shoot, our <laughs> our captain, he gave me my first speeding ticket but hey. i was'm was, like, I, remember You're like you. I know you gonna see
0: this on my background i remember you you remember me <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh good old good old speedy tickets I tell you i remember in college i had look. Like, I had four speeding tickets <laughs> like Ooh. in the month. Like and I haven't had a ticket since. So I'm I feel comfortable telling this story. But I haven't had a ticket since. And I remember um my 18-year-old self, my teammates were like, It's cool. You just go to the court, tell them you're a student. 'Cause I was a full time student and I was playing basketball. And they'll give you community service and when we do our community service, coach will write it off because we do like host camps and stuff like that. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, cool. Don't gotta tell my dad because I got this, I'm an adult, I'm handling it, right? My dad gets this letter from, I think it was State Farm, kicking me off his insurance because I got four tickets in a month. My dad was like, what is this? I was like, oh, no, it's fine. I took care of it. And he was like, Ashley, you get points when you get tickets. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) I was like, what are you talking about, dad? He was like, you don't just pay the ticket. You get, like, they keep score and i was like oh yep, so i gotta get my own insurance <laughs> he was like they said you can't even touch the door handle like you're not even allowed to. so yeah i got i learned about the point system at 18 <laughs> not the brightest not the brightest but hot mess hot mess <laughs> um so you guys creating this period is peer support at your you you guys are just starting to create
1: it or where are you guys at they're i think the primary steps have been done Mm -hmm. i'm not on it we have other people that are on it and they have to go through some stuff but they have like little cards that they can give us like if we need help or something like that but it's they haven't really broadcasted it much and i wish they would more I mm. wish that it was out there more. And yeah, we all know it's there, but like, tell me, tell me what it does. Tell me what it can do for me. Give mm. me more info on it to make me feel comfortable with picking up that phone and calling that phone number. Very cool.
0: Yeah. We had a peer support. Uh, well, We yeah, have peer support at my current agency, but I remember uh, during my training at SAC PD, they brought in our peer support folks and they had like a whole day of like a whole session talking about their services, you know, the confidentiality of the 24 hour number um, and like ways to cope. They went over that a bit. Like, you know, don't, don't pick up the bottle of alcohol or, you know, whatever to, to suppress whatever you're feeling, call us, you know? And I thought that was really helpful as a, as a young dispatcher, as a new dispatcher um, to be very aware of the resource. So I, I would agree with you that like knowledge is half the battle, like knowing, what they offer yeah. is half the battle. Right. So it's great that we have it, but we have to
1: promote it. You know, it's, it's just like anything that we want out there and want people to use. We got to promote it in our departments. And it, it, it kind of goes along the same lines as like, like the EAP that most places have the employee assistance program. It's wow. there. We know it's there, but what can it do for me? It's mm-hmm. not just, Oh, you had stress. You need to go see somebody. Mm-hmm. Here's the number and stuff. They do other stuff too. And that's, I feel like there needs to be like a session of, Hey, this is what EAP does. Yeah. This is all the things it can do for you. We also have a peer support team. If you don't want to go through that, we have all these revenues that you go down all these different roads and figure out what works for you. Yeah. And it's cause like everyone goes, well, the EAP and I'm like, I don't even know how to log into the EAP. <laughs> I don't even and, know what the website is. I haven't seen it since I started.
0: Yeah, and I feel like EAP a lot of times, and I'm sure, it, I sure, I'm sure it differs from agency to agency. But a lot of times, those EAP programs have stuff for the families too. Uh, that if you don't dive into it, you're not going to know those resources are available for yeah. your partners and your children and you know whatnot. I think a lot of them do have those options as well. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like dispatching through COVID. Because that was a weird moment, I think, for every agency. And I think every agency handled it differently, you know? So (laughs) I wonder what your experience was like working through COVID.
1: So... We were in our old center, and our old center was in the basement of a building that used to be a a Leggett's, is okay. what it was then. Leggett's turned into Belk. <laughs> it's okay. a clothing store. They got <laughs> like appliances and stuff, but it was a three-story building. We were in the basement. Um, it was very musky. They always put us in the basement. No <laughs> windows. You're know, it doesn't matter if we work day shift or night shift. It's I, I, dark. Yes.
0: I post I post reels of my new well, my old center had windows too, but like every time I post the window, they're like, You have windows. I'm like, the, why they why is everyone putting us in the basement? Yes, they put <laughs> us
1: in the basement. So mm-hmm. we were in the basement and our console room was like <laughs> I swear my dining room downstairs is bigger <laughs> it was very small we could fit four consoles and we were less than six feet apart from each other so wow. covid hit i actually had taken a trip to nevada where my sister was living at the time mm-hmm. and um, she's now in arizona but i had flown there and covid started hitting the u.s hard yeah like the Sunday before I was supposed to fly back. So I was starting to look into, okay, do I need to reschedule my ticket and get home? Mm-hmm. But I got on the plane, I got back home. And they were like, we really thought about putting you on quarantine for two weeks because you had been in an airplane and COVID's hitting really hard. Luckily they didn't cause I had no symptoms. So I was like, yeah. cool, yeah. this works. But we went through it for a little bit and they were like, no sheriff's deputies in the center. We had like a little box. We put papers in, they'd be buzzed in. They could come to the box wave mm-hmm. and leave. We had tic-tac-toe mm-hmm. on the window with dry erase markers <laughs> yeah. to play with them because we had a good relationship with them mm-hmm. and then now we can't have any contact. Yeah. But well, then it got bad. One uh, one person got it and that whole shift got it. So that whole Gosh. shift had to be covered. Yeah. So then they hung <laughs> and I'm telling you we were sitting really close. <laughs> they hung up clear plastic shower curtains <laughs> in the center beside us. So that our our breath couldn't get on me. <laughs> and I remember like leaning over to my coworker and like putting my hand up and I'm like, I miss and <laughs> I mean, he was like, me <laughs> but, oh my like gosh. I didn't get COVID till the what was it, the the Delta or one of the COVID D mm-hmm. or whatever came yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mm-hmm. the one that you like exposed three days later, you're sick. Yeah, I went to Christmas. I was like, well, COVID's dying down. I'll go to my Christmas with my family. It's it was like the only Christmas i would had. Uh, the only Christmas I was supposed to work that Christmas, but mm-hmm. I hadn't had a Christmas off for like two years when I hear that. Yeah. And I got that Christmas off. They're like, well, you had that Christmas off. I'm like, I had COVID. <laughs> I was at home. Uh, yeah i was dying it's fine (laughs) i didn't get to see any family members for christmas that's cool yeah i would have rather been at work because i would would have been at work
0: double time you know (laughs) (laughs) holiday pay (laughs) I, I (laughs) i ducked and dodged it for a while i mean i didn't get it till Gosh, two years after it started ravaging us. But I think it's funny, especially for folks who work, shift work. I worked graveyards at the time COVID started ramping up. So I feel like because I work nights, I would miss, like, information. Like, I would just kind of get it from my coworkers and, you know, whatever (laughs) i scrolling on the socials, and that's never accurate. So, like, I didn't really understand what COVID was I was actually going to on like a little staycation to Monterey um, the week it kind of like hit hard and so there was a cruise ship that had all the COVID folks who got COVID on that cruise ship was they docked it in Monterey and I was like well I'm not going there (laughs) like (laughs) I'm not gonna go to Monterey obviously so I'm gonna stay home you know I'm gonna stay home it's the middle of the night. I have no food in my house. I was going to leave in the morning, but I'm just going to go shopping because there's like a 24-hour winco where I live. That's I'll go stock up for the week, and I'll just be home for the week. I go to the store, and my 24-hour winco was closed, and there was a line outside the door. And I was like, I think I'm, I need more information because I think I'm missing <laughs>
1: I don't get how serious yeah. this is, you know? So. Like, it, it got big fast. It got, got big, big like, real fast. Like, oh it gosh. went from, okay, people are getting sick to, okay, now let's add in questions to our, our pro QA and yes. our EMP process to, okay, were you exposed? And, okay, this is what needs to be put in the call if they were exposed because our units were having to shower down and desanitize after every call that they went on that someone wow. was exposed. And yeah. it, it was crazy. Even our, like, we were even asking for our deputies, and our deputies were like, Oh, well, if they were coughing on the phone, let me know because, you know, I don't, I don't want that. And I'm like, yeah. well, not to have it either. But I thought it was so
0: funny. I, I don't know if you had this experience from the policing side. It's like, okay, where the suspect who shot you went that way. Okay. Uh, are you having any symptoms you know
1: like, we yeah, would have to it ask was that odd. this
0: like high priority call after you get all the info you, you gotta slide that question in because it's important but it's super awkward when you're like this person's reporting a shooting or some violent crime and then you're like hey so like have you been coughing How are you fever did they <laughs> look like right. they were coughing or had a fever like <laughs> did anyone look like they had any symptoms <laughs> you, right. you, it was just really weird for like for me as a police dispatcher to ask anything really medical but let alone it's just like i have this hot call and then like i also like have to slip that in like, yeah it, it was just a it, really weird
1: time it was so awkward at first and now it's like it's second nature like we just roll with it i know. And they're just it's like so- oh no because a lot of people understand now yeah that- Yeah, it's still a risk. It's just not as big and prevalent as it was, but it's still a risk. People are still going to get it.
0: Oh, yeah. I still, I ain't going to lie, y'all. When I'm on a plane, I'm still masking because I believe. That is where COVID lives. If it is, if it's living anywhere, <laughs> it is on the planes. That is my yes, personal. Everything
1: thing. lives on a plane, right? Everything. So like, if you're gonna I'm catch masking. something, it's gonna be on a plane.
0: Yes, that's what I'm saying. So I plane can ride. feel
1: the person next to me's breath. Right?
0: Oh, and the little fan thing they got going—it's not enough. I'm like, no, I'm it's like not enough.
1: <laughs> you. you got this big old. Jeff plane, and you can't push a little more air through the vents. Yeah, just on. a little bit, a little, just a little bit. You know, not asking for much; just a little smidge. <laughs> yeah, like work didn't change much for us because we were in such close quarters. They just put up the shower curtains and was like, "Don't You'll be, be hanging out with people. <laughs> you can make sure you're you're doing your things outside of work yeah. and making sure you're not getting sick." Mm-hmm. And I was night shift, so it it didn't really bother me mm-hmm. right at the beginning of COVID um it was that was what like it was like the march of that year I think it was yeah that sounds about right I was there I was in Nevada for my my nephew's first birthday so by that July Hmm. I told my now ex-husband he could leave the house and go think about his life and he (laughs) did and I called him and I was like I thought about my life too and um I want a divorce and he was like all right no oh, yeah i did or nothing he knew what had went down he, oh. he knew uh, when i say i'm done i'm done mm-hmm. so then i was by myself i lived mm-hmm. by myself <laughs> and i was night shift and my family knew i was night shift mm-hmm. they knew all my days off i slept during the day i was up at night
0: mm-hmm. so i
1: didn't see anybody yeah. <laughs> so i i skirted around it for those two two and a half years and then went to one family function and got it i was like this (laughs) is why i don't do christmas
0: (laughs) and see and i think that's another weird aspect of covid right is that i would say for a lot of first responders police fire doctors you know the world didn't really change as far as like we didn't go home, you know. And like a lot of people struggled during COVID. It was a rough time for a lot of folks. But I would say for me, like it was kind of business as usual. I would get up, I would go to work. Like I didn't have that aspect of change that a lot of the world felt. And I was really grateful, you know, for that. Looking back, you know, keeping my job, you know, good old job security in law enforcement first responder, and and not having to go out into the field, but still have the luxury really during COVID of being able to get up and go to work and didn't have to stay home or didn't have to lose my job. I mean, it was rough there, but it was really weird also because the world's going through this whole big change and it's like, I'm still going to work. I'm still, you know, lucky to have this job and I didn't have to deal with that shift that a lot of people had to deal with during COVID.
1: Yeah. It was, it was a blessing to know that, I was still gonna be able to pay my bills. I wasn't gonna mm-hmm. be laid off. I was mm-hmm. essential mm-hmm. in the utmost degree. I had to be there. And I was yeah. like, Oh, I'm not sick, I'm going in. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I always thought
0: I thought it was also weird, you know, as a dispatch, like the uptick in B V. Like it makes sense. Obviously, everyone's stuck at home with each other, and you know.
1: Now we're oh, seeing no. we don't really like the person worse. <laughs> oh, it, it jumped so much! Yeah, like, it it was, was wild. On the daily, we were getting like we don't normally get them all the time. We might get one yeah. or two a day. That's like a, a real good one. Yeah. We were getting three, four, five a day sometimes. I'm like, yeah. these people are tired of each other. Yes, they want to go in the other yeah. room and be <laughs> left alone and not have that person follow them. Hmm. It was I it was a real weird time. Lock the door behind you, <laughs>
0: <laughs> because and we were we were doing um, we would because we have different sectors. We had uh, six six districts at that agency when COVID was happening, and so we weren't we weren't allowed to cross dispatch the officers. So basically, if they all the officers whose hub was this station could go to calls together, but. Normally, in the normal times, we would pull from everywhere and anywhere we needed to go to a hot call. But during COVID, they kind of drew those lines, trying to keep stations together to slow the spread. I mean, but, but we would ask Sergeant, like, we ain't got nobody. Is it okay to cross sector or whatever? But it was weird having to make those little adjustments that you really don't think about, like someone who gets paid more than me thought about it, uh, but how it really rolls down and affects dispatch. Cause you're sitting here like, normally I would send so-and-so to this call, but I can't now because I have this COVID lines that are drawn, which rightfully so, so we can slow the spread in our stations, but the world is still happening and the, the calls are still coming in and it's tough, you know, like simply just, it was tough. It was. It really was. <laughs> um, but I think I think we're at a good place. I think folks are getting back to normal. I definitely think, like I said, I still mask up on planes because that's where I think it lives. Um, but we're definitely getting to a good spot with COVID, at least in our dispatch centers. I'm not feeling it as much as I was in the past.
1: Yeah, I. you don't hear about it as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, it's you hear about it now when somebody gets it that you know and you're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. it's still here." Mm-hmm. But like w- when it was that Christmas, that one spread so fast. Mm-hmm. Like we had so many people that were sick just in the county that I dispatched in that I was just like, "Wow." Yeah. Wow, that that really got out of hand because yeah. <laughs> even I didn't I even I got it. And I was like, For "Some reason I wasn't catching the first one, but this one, gosh." Yeah crazy all
0: right well let's talk about this marcus 988 you're developing that or working working on developing that with your county or what's what's the marcus 988
1: so marcus 988 um the 988 is the new number for the suicide hotline awesome instead of having to remember the big old 1-800 number they can dial 988 and they can get a healthcare professional who can help them with whatever situation they're going through with their mental health
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and then they can refer them to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, other people can call if they feel somebody's doing it, whatever. So in our center, when we get a call that's a mental health call, we have different stages of Marcus that we go through, one, two, three, or four. Four being the most severe, one being, hey, they just need to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And with that, we would transfer them to 988 and go, okay, have, they're yours now. A level two, it's like, uh, you know what? They're kind of on the fence. Let me, I'm going to stay on the line with 988 when I transfer and see if I need to send them somebody. Mm-hmm. three and a four, it's basically they are, they either have a plan or they're acting out their plan. They're aggressive, they're agitated, they're doing some self-harm mm-hmm. in any sort of way. And we're going to send you law enforcement and we're going to go ahead and get our medics out there as well so that they can check and make sure you're okay. Mm-hmm. The thing is... I went to my boss and I said, well, tell me more about Marcus 988. And he was like, this is all I have. And he gave me the stuff and I'm like, hmm. this, this is all you have. <laughs>
0: He's like, yeah. And I'm
1: like, hold up. I yeah. got this. So I've been creating a PowerPoint that is going to be used in our center to go over like why Marcus 988 came about,
0: hmm.
1: what it's about, some... You know, mental health terms that you need to be aware of um, that people may say, um, because if it's a healthcare professional calling in, you do kind of need to know some of them. Yeah. Then different things that can stop us from doing our job correctly with Marcus 988. Like um, your third party callers, third party callers are always going to be a problem. Oh, well, I'm friends with so-and-so on Discord. I know they live in this city, in this county. This is their first name. And that's all I know, but this is a phone number and you're like, okay, I'll see what I can do. And then we have to go with that. Mm -hmm. But Marcus 988 actually started because of an incident that happened. The Marcus program in Virginia started because of a gentleman who was shot in Richmond, Virginia, Mm. which is about an hour and a half from where uh, I dispatch from an hour from my house. Um, Uh The guy thought he was, he had, I think he had a knife or something and he was going through a mental crisis and he thought he Mm -hmm. can't, he was coming at him. There was something that made him think he needed to shoot this man. So he shot Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. and the man ended up dying from it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. they found out that he had had previous calls within the past, like week to a month, Mm -hmm. were mental health calls. He needed help. Nobody got any help. So now it's pushing this. Hey, we need to get help to these people who are calling us for help. Yeah. And I've been blessed to have a good experience with Marcus. Some people mm-hmm. don't when they call the 988 number. Yeah. I called one lady three times in a day and she was like, Hey, it's sounds So again. And I was like, Hey, it's it's me again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. like it's so good to like get that satisfaction of transferring them getting them the help and then knowing that you helped because like I had a 15 year old boy call and he he said I'm thinking about it I don't have a plan I I know my mental state is not good I need help and I got him Mm -hmm. over there and I stayed on the line and she gave him resources and stuff Mm -hmm. and then she went to hang up and I asked him if he was still there and he was like yeah and I was like just now I was like if you can't remember that you need to call 988 you can always call us here don't mm-hmm. think that oh it's not an emergency. I was like, your life is an emergency, you need to yeah.
0: call. Yeah.
1: For and sure. he was like, Thank you so much. Like he was in tears. The poor kid. We had it, and I actually I ended up sending a deputy out to him too. And I was like, please just talk to him. He needs somebody to talk to you face to face because I don't feel like being on the phone helped him, but knowing he yeah. can call back if he needs to did. But can you just go talk to him, please? Yeah. But it's a the whole thing is just it's Trying to get 911 and the deputies and everybody up to this level to realize that just because somebody's in mental crisis doesn't mean they're going to be aggressive. It doesn't Correct. mean that, hey, you need to go in, guns blazing. Mm-hmm. And if you come to a situation and you're out there and you're looking at them and you're like, I really don't think this person's being aggressive to be aggressive, mm-hmm. it looks like they're going through something. Right. That's why we check history. Mm -hmm. Check history with this person who's being aggressive and check and there's three suicidal calls or there's psychiatric calls and you're just like, I know exactly what's going on. And then we'll we'll put a little flag on them, history of mental health illness. Mm -hmm. That way we know when they go out there, hey, you guys need to use a little bit more caution. Maybe don't go in yelling at them. Mm -hmm. Don't go in with a loud voice. Go in quietly. Give them the space they need. Gain their trust. And it's... It's yeah. a good system. It just, it needs, as everything does, it needs more work and it needs more training and it needs, people need to talk about it and they don't.
0: <laughs> no, it's so true because I think that <clears throat> obviously we're in a, we're in a time in law enforcement where we're pushing for transparency, pushing for more training and pushing for more resources to equip, um, our officers or firefighters or dispatchers to handle mental health calls. Because the reality is, is having these services available like 988 and like where we can route them towards actual mental health services is going to be more rewarding or more um, helpful to that person who's in crisis because we're not going to solve that problem in a night, right? We're, we're responding the immediate need or immediate threats that's kind of what we're a response system we're not preventative and having more resources more folks available that could help with the preventative side or the ongoing care so we don't escalate you know to having the need officers or so and so to respond like that's that's where we want to try to connect folks with so we have continued care continued resources that we're not just answering the 911 calls in the high state of emergency that we're able to give folks those resources to continue to practice self-care, continue to work on their mental health. And a lot of times we don't have that luxury, right? When we're answering 911, we have to deal with that immediate thing. But the reality is we need more ongoing care and ongoing resources for mental health because it's just not enough. We don't,
1: we don't have enough out there to be able to help these folks it people need to understand that it's okay to talk about it mm-hmm. it's okay it's okay to ask somebody else if they're okay that's right mm-hmm. i don't mind telling my story i went through severe depression and had to be on depression meds and my anxiety was at the point where like i could feel it in my chest and it just mm-hmm. felt like my heart was about ready to come out my chest mm-hmm. and this was before i was going through my divorce because of everything that was going on yeah. i i didn't want to be here mm-hmm. i was i was done. I said. I can't do anything right. The only thing I do right is my job and I go to work. And then it was the slightest little thing I got dinged on. And it wasn't even a big deal. I'd lose my crap. I'd be like, I was an unhappy person. I was not a good person to be around. And I got on medicine and it helped a little bit. Hmm. And I remember the turning point that I knew that I, it was a big problem. I was laying in bed one day. And I I had been there for like an hour, two hours. Mm -hmm. And my now ex-husband came in and he goes, are you going to get out of bed? And I was like, no, Mm -hmm. I I can't. I physically can't. And he said, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live anymore. This life is killing me. I'm living my own personal hell. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I don't want to do this anymore. I want to die. And he said, okay, Mm -hmm. and left the house. He, he just left. He walked out yeah. and he left a loaded gun in the house. Mm. And that's when I looked at myself and I said, you have a problem and you need to figure out how to fix it. Mm. Six months later, he was no longer in the house. Mm -hmm. And I, it was a two-year process to get myself back to being a happy person. And it was hard because I felt that I needed that other person. And I was like, I don't need anybody if I can't be happy with myself. Mm -hmm. And it was so hard. And I wished and wished and wished that somebody at work would have looked at me and said, you're not okay. I can see it. They told me after the fact after I had gotten through everything, they were like, we're so glad you're happy again. You looked like you were having a really tough time. And my response was then, why didn't you say something to me? Yeah, Why didn't you say something to me then? Because if you could see it, then I was going through it and I probably did not know.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think it's definitely tough for folks, but like, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta extend the hand, you know, sometimes people just need that hand extended. So if you see someone at work who looks like they're struggling, no, it doesn't need to be a big thing. Just pull them aside. Just be like, Hey, like, can I help? You know, is there anything like, it doesn't have to be deep. It's just extend the hand.
1: And you, you don't realize you're working with these people. I don't know what, how long of shifts you guys work. We work 12s. Yeah. Same. (laughs) So You get to know these people, you get to know their mannerisms. Like Mm -hmm. we had one guy, he he loves to eat cookies. Mm. He was hungry one night and didn't realize it. And he's like, Oh my god, I think I got COVID. I feel horrible. Oh my God, I feel so sick. And they were like, Have you ate? And he's like, No. So they gave him some cookies and he ate him. He's like, I feel a lot better now. I don't think (laughs) I have COVID. And I'm like, Are you serious? (laughs) You were so hungry. You thought you had COVID. That's hilarious. Like, everyone's
0: like, you're fine. Eat a cookie. <laughs> right?
1: And it's it's like, you get to know these people. So mm. when they come in and they seem off, something happened. Hey, do you mm. want to talk about it? Do you need a moment? Do we need to get somebody else in here so yeah. that you can go take care of something? Anything. Like I was calling out of work for mental health days Yeah, because I couldn't physically get out of bed and function mm-hmm. as an adult because I didn't want... I didn't want to be around people
0: and for folks I I didn't like me (laughs) yeah mental health days are a real thing and I know I feel like it's maybe frowned upon air quotes in our line of work it's like if you're not dying sick sniffles you come in type of thing especially before COVID but like mental health days is it's it's a day to be to get better you know what i mean and that's what our time off is for so don't think that you need to have a cold you know to take care of yourself you know if you got the time if you need the day take the day <laughs> you know i would yeah. me personally and i think as a department you know we should all have this mindset is that if i'm going through it if my coworker's going through it I don't mind coming in and covering that shift. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how we should be operating. If they need a day, whether they're actually like physically sick with the sniffles or they just need a mental health day, like I'm down to cover that shift because I want someone to cover it for me when I need it. And that's that's the reality that we should be living in. So if you're listening and you're like, I don't know about a mental health day. You should if you need it, take it you know we got to take care of ourselves to do
1: this job and to live our lives let alone do this job and the other thing is like even as like other people who are seeing people call out and then people who are calling out keep track of it because you might be like why does this person always call out on this day Mm -hmm. and then you look at it and you're like maybe they're going through something maybe there's something that happens that day that does it and you can go hey do you need some help? I see you got a little something going on, maybe. Mm. Or go to a supervisor and say, Hey, I've noticed this. Can we check on them?
0: Yeah. Or
1: like like we had we've had people call out three, four days in a row and then they're like, Oh, we think there's something wrong. We're like, Do they need anything? Mm. Cause we have we created what we call the celebration squad at our center and it's it's something we created as dispatchers like our none of Mm -hmm. our supervisors were were in on it we created it and we're like look what we did we celebrate birthdays we celebrate holidays we celebrate you know anniversaries Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff but we're also here for the hey you need some help we can get you we can get you to where you need oh you had a death in the family what can we do for you Mm -hmm. you know it's so we want to help and it's it's just, it's what we do as our job. So if if you're gonna help these strangers that you don't know at all, why aren't you helping the people that you directly work with? Mm-hmm. Like help them too, because you see them going through it.
0: Yeah, it's
1: even just saying, "Hey, what's wrong?" Mm-hmm. Like people will spill the beans. To- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and
0: see, like I love like Celebration Squad, amazing. I love when dispatchers create great experiences in their comm centers. Cause I do think sometimes we get caught up on what management or what our supervisors are doing for us, you know, coming downhill. But in the reality we're in there every shift with our, with our coworkers for 12 hours a day, we can create things in our own environments. Like we don't have to wait for management to give us kudos or give us celebrations or, you know, give us our pizza party, like whatever it is, we can create those environments within our shift, you know, with each other, with the officers who work on our shift, with the firefighters who work on our shift, whatever, we can create those environments without having to wait for management or supervisors to come down and acknowledge that we're doing a good job. You know what I mean? So I love the idea that you guys have created this, this, you know kudos squad to help you know just uplift folks on a wednesday because it's a wednesday you know what i mean like i think it's amazing and i think more folks need to understand that we create the energy in our centers with things we can't control some things we can't you know we have to fight those battles when we fight those battles but there's a lot of things we can control in our centers and make our shifts fun (laughs) outside of the tough work that we're doing. So I think that's awesome that you guys created that celebration squad.
1: It's very rewarding. It's extremely rewarding to see these people. They come in on their birthday and there's a little present for them or, Oh, it's their anniversary. Ah. Like I just hit my five years on the 17th of this month. Yeah. And I came in, they, They got me a duffel bag with my name on it And it says 911 dispatcher And it just so happens it matches The backpack that we got from the county For telecom week And I'm like I match (laughs) I'm so happy It's the little things
0: man It really is little things make centers go a long way It makes people willing To come cover shifts when they're dog tired You know it's the little things That keeps folks happy in the centers And And it could even just be a card You know like I've gotten cards hearts on my birthday at my centers before. And it's just like everyone just signed their name on it. It's just a sweet little nudge. Like, Hey, we see you. We know this is your birthday. Like love you kid. Like it just, it just feels good. You know? It so does. those little things do, they really do go a long way. Um, and with that, like coming to a close, wrapping this all up, this has been an amazing conversation. What advice would you give someone considering a career in dispatch?
1: My first advice would be to see if you can see if you can do a shadow and sit down first mm-hmm. and, and see if it's something that you're going to be willing to do, mm-hmm. because what we learn, it takes short amount of time and we learn the amount that's in a college degree. And it's mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, ask questions. The biggest thing ask questions if you have questions don't be that person who's like no i don't have any questions ask questions do your research
0: mm-hmm.
1: practice because most places you got to do something in equivalent of like the critical test mm-hmm. um so practice on it practice on your your active listening with your multitasking with your split ear and all that like mm-hmm. you wouldn't you would not even realize that you can do it and you can do it. I had no experience and came into this job and I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. I could go work at the center. That's a 14 mile round trip. And instead I drive 74 74 (laughs) miles round trip to go to the center because I love my center. I have time put in there. They know me and I understand them. Find somewhere that you're going to build a career. You're not going to build a job. It's not going to be, This is my job. It's going to be a career and you look forward to going to work because it's rewarding. At the end of the day, it's rewarding. The good outweighs the bad.
0: Mm -hmm. Amazing. That's so, 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 so true. Definitely do your research. I totally agree. You know, not every center is cut the same way. You might want to do police. You might want to do medical fire. You know, you, you got to do that legwork and do that research because not only, do we need dispatchers, you know, but we need folks to be happy where they land. So it's 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 a, it's a recruiting process both ways, I would say. You're recruiting them. They're recruiting you. You're trying to see if it's a good fit. Definitely. Well, Abby, thank you so much for jumping on here with me. I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate you taking the time.
1: No problem. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I'll be right back with you, okay? All right. All
0: right, everybody, that was another amazing episode of Let's Talk Dispatch. Uh, here with the Raspy Dispatcher, Abby, again, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience uh, working at a agency that's been through some things in the last five years. So I do really appreciate you taking the time. And as Abby said, really check in with yourself, check in with your coworkers. We spend a lot of time with these folks every day 12 hours a day three to four days a week sometimes we see them more than they see their family so if something feels weird something feels off extend that hand ask them if they're doing okay if there's anything you can do to help them and um, if need be you know get a supervisor involved we want to make sure everyone's taking care of themselves and getting any helpful resources that they need because at the end of the day the job is hard enough and we have to take care of ourselves so we can continue to take care of others. So again, thank you all for joining me and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk Dispatch, a Raspy Dispatcher production. If you like the podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave a five-star review, and of course, tell a friend. If you want to be a guest, head to the raspydispatcher.com and check out our additional resources. Until next time, stay raspy, everybody.